the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 419. I'm Paul Spain and my guest today is Miriam Joie. Thank you. How are you, Miriam? Hey, Paul. I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Look, it's always a, a privilege to have you on the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast. Uh, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this sort of big, wide world of tech <laughs> and journalism. Sure thing. Um, I'm the host of the Mobile Tech Podcast and the founder of the Mobile Tech Podcast, which is hosted by World Podcast, your own company. Uh, you should check it out, mobiletechpodcast.com. I'm also a tech journalist. I used to write for Engadget, and I write for a bunch of other publications as a freelancer these days. Uh, and along with the podcast, I have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash my name, which is Miriam Joar, Miriam with a Y. And you can find me on Instagram and Tank Girl as Tank Girl and on Twitter as Tank Girl. That's Tank Girl like the comic book, but without the vowels, T-N-K-G-R-L. Nice. Well, let's jump in. There's a, there's a bunch of topics that I'm keen to, uh, keen to hear your thoughts on. Uh, I want to talk a bit about Tesla Autopilot. I've been trying that, and I know uh, you've been uh, enjoying your, your Model 3 uh, over, over a number, number of months. Uh, and I want to talk uh, a little bit about what's happening with Freeview in New Zealand. Maybe hear some some thoughts on uh, on what what's happening up there in uh, in the US uh, space. There's a whole lot going on there. Uh, sure. Both launches from New Zealand and uh, Virgin uh, Galactic are uh, uh, are getting up there in, into space as well. I want to talk about these new smartphones uh, with a circular um, sort of punch hole. Uh, uh-huh, rather, uh-huh. rather than a notch at the top for uh, for the camera, and we've got a uh, a Nokia seven point one to give away, uh, courtesy of Spark. So those sort of the the main headlines. We may squeeze in one or two other things, but let's start with uh, with Tesla. Um, you know, tell us about sure thing, uh, sure your, your your experience. Uh, you have in the last uh, well, what, how many months ago would it have been since you've uh, been I took in your delivery in July. Uh, that's when I took delivery. So July, and it's now. December, so five months ago, I guess, and um, and I've got I've got an incredible eight thousand miles already on my car. So that's uh, yeah, you you're certainly clocking them up, and that's because for you, you uh, you live both in San Francisco and in Portland, Oregon, which is is quite a uh, quite a journey. So you must have six hundred and sixty-five a- miles. Yes. Wow. So wow. I mean, I, I don't drive always, but it is very cost-effective. In particular, now that I have an EV to drive that distance in a day, uh, it's it's easily done in ten to twelve hours, including supercharging. Uh, you know, I obviously cracking the speed slightly over the speed limit uh 10 or so miles on average seems to be just fine and and i mean if you know i'm not usually by myself i've got my uh, my spouse which was also my podcast producer with me so it's like if you look at the cost of flying um you know it used to be very affordable when Virgin America was still in business, but they got acquired by Alaska Airlines, and now it's basically Alaska United. And because I'm a United customer from all of my f- foreign long-distance flights, um, it's expensive, especially for the kind of flights we used to make, even with status, like last-minute flights, booking them, trying to find a good seat. Um, and so the cost of operating an EV is almost nil, and the cost of, of fuel is a third, typically, of the cost of fuel 
of gasoline in the U.S. So I can imagine that for other countries that have higher taxes on 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 petrol, um, that it would be four times or five times cheaper. Uh, because I do believe electricity is still relatively affordable throughout most of the Western world, um, first you know first world countries. Electricity is probably a little bit more expensive in New Zealand, but it's it's predominantly probably, re- yeah. renewable. So it's exactly, a, um, you know, yeah. We've so got some so the point there. is for us, it's 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 become very uh, very reasonable to do this, much more reasonable. The only constraint is time. It takes, you know, it takes a day. But what I found was that. Uh, with autopilot and with the driver assist features on the on the vehicle, uh, it does make it less tiring because the tire car is quieter, the car is very comfortable, is easy to drive, and uh, in, in in many cases can kind of take a lot of my attention load off of me. Um, since I'm the only driver, Theo does not have a license, uh, and and of course stopping for supercharging three to f- four times for the trip means we stop for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, usually we stop longer than we really need to charge simply because, you know, it's nice. We get on our laptops, we go get some food, we sit down, we we fire off some emails, edit some podcasts, whatever we need to do, which when we used to drive without the, the you, you know, we would like 10 minutes in and out, bathroom break, you know, rush, rush, rush. And, and yes, I could do the trip in less than nine hours. But at the same time, you know, my attention levels needed to be high the whole time, and I didn't find any time to do anything during that day work-wise. So it's actually, for me, a very special use case, but it's a use case that kind of goes against what most EVs are advertised to be used as, you know, like commuter cars, go back and forth to work, charge at home, charge at work, never charge anywhere else. We, we don't have a charger at our home in Portland, even though we could, uh, simply because when we drive it locally, we, we work at home. So when driving locally, it's less than 10, 10, 20 miles a day, which we can recuperate just by plugging into a regular outlet for the night. The car has a range of 310 miles. And, uh, and, though, and, and then in San Francisco, we live in an apartment. We have no way of charging at home. So we have public charging stations. There are many of them, as you can imagine, being the Bay Area. Um, some of them are free even, which is great. Uh, those are level two. They charge faster. But we don't really end up using them. What we end up doing is there's a supercharger 10 miles away, uh, a Tesla 2 supercharger. We just go there like basically one night for the week and we supercharge 300 miles. And then we never run out of miles for that entire week of just doing small little commutes. Even if I have to go to Mountain View a couple of times a week, which is like a 45 mile trip, it. You know, I don't even use up my whole battery on on those two trips. So that, that's pre- that's it, pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, because it's amazing, and and it's a very kind of it seems to be almost bespoke use case for us. Yeah, and yeah. because there is supercharges every 150 miles on all the major highways in in the U.S., particularly the freeways, you know, the autoroutes, autobahns of of the U.S., um, we can be very uh, you know we have choices to where we want to stop. Um, along the way, and the ma- the car manages that very well, and we have kind of found a pattern now that we do the same trip pretty regularly. So I'm ranting and, and going on here, but I just want to know that that it seems counterintuitive that we would drive this long distance between these two residences, but it actually turns out to be a very relaxing, 
relatively productive because you still get some work done. We get to listen to podcasts when we're driving, which is really fantastic. Like Welcome to Night Vale, which is one of our favorites. Uh, and of course, you know, some tech podcasts along the way as well because we're both nerds. And uh, so it, it works out really well for us, you know. That's great. Well, uh, looking at my, my experience last week, and uh, I was in a uh, Model X100D, and look, this is a you know is a reasonably uh, reasonably pricey vehicle, uh, and you know I was kind of curious, you know, where, where are we at right now with autopilot? And I know that we should expect some differences between markets. So you know how it works for you in the US and how it works here in New Zealand. Um, w- one thing I did notice was. Uh, it was probably the way I was driving, to be fair, because um, you know it is kind of fun to 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 accelerate it. At, <laughs> it's a fast car, at, isn't at, it? At speed, uh, and so I did. I did go in and get a uh, get a get a charge at, at one point, and I only had it for sort of two two and a half um, days, uh, Wednesday through to uh, through to through to Friday. So n- not a terribly long time, and I'll I'll get more time with it maybe in January. Um, but the superchargers are phenomenal in terms of just you know how, amazing, how quickly they charge, considering uh, you know the amount of the amount of juice that they they have. No, it's not the same as you know pouring gas uh, in, into a tank, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty snappy process. I I found anyway. So um, I feel that if you are and like we don't have children, but if you are a person who normally drives long distances with children, where you have to stop, everyone has to pee. Maybe a few people want to drink some water have a snack you know you need to go get out of the car after you fueled or before you fuel to take care of all that stuff you're looking at a minimum of a half hour yeah well this was going to get a charge i think 45 minutes would have taken it from under 50 percent to 100 that's what I'm saying. So yeah. a thirty. So most of the time, your charges and supercharges are about forty-five minutes because you never run the battery down all the way, and you also never charge all the way because to get that three hundred and ten mile range, first of all, those first ten miles, uh, if you're fully charged, and it says three ten on my car, those first ten miles, you're going to eat them away pretty quickly because you got, you know. If the car hasn't been plugged in at all, it needs to be warmed up, etc. And so generally, I don't charge it more than three hundred. And because the charging curve slows down drastically as you get close to the top. So basically anything past um, anything past about four-fifths of the full charge becomes slows down enough even at supercharger speeds that it takes basically if you if you fully charge in an hour and a half, say, you know, that's very conservative, really depends on how much you know juice is available at that supercharging station based on energy grid requirements. Um, say it takes an hour and a half to go from zero to 100 on a 310 mile range battery that is in my Tesla Model 3. That last 40 miles is going to take you a half hour out of that hour and a half. So you're better off just charging up to, you know, four fifths, like two, 270, 280, and then continuing on your journey because there's enough supercharge regularly enough. And it stresses the battery much less too, so it's actually the Good better point. way to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we don't have as many superchargers, and you know we've only had uh, supercharger in, in Auckland, uh, you know, the, this this year. Uh, but uh, you know, look, they they you know slowly roll out to more places, and and there's you know ChargeNet and other charging infrastructure. Uh, so yeah, there's certainly wa- certainly ways to uh, you know certainly ways to uh, to fill up. But what I was really interested in is is how uh, how is autopilot you know coming along and 
you know, part of me sort of feels as though um, it's it's been a, a little bit sort of oversold, and 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 by that I mean that uh, you know Elon's done varying sort of uh, tweets along the way, uh, you know, talking about you know what we interpret to be you know fully fully autonomous uh, offering from Tesla. And certainly in this market, we seem to be, you know, a fair way off it. That said, uh, the autopilot, you know, capability is actually pretty cool. And uh, as, as you and I, Miriam, chatted about before we, before we kicked off, uh, it is really designed for, for use on the motorway or the freeways or the autobahn, depending on where you are uh, in the in the world. Now, I, I tried it a little bit on some of the um, some of the other streets in uh, in and around uh, Auckland that uh, it's not you know really designed for. But what you see with autopilot when you're you know you're driving on certain streets. Is you know it will it will give you this sort of icon on the screen to say hey you know it, it can pick up the load of um, you know steering and acceleration and and so on uh, for you and uh, look and you know certain circumstances that that works quite well but in the New Zealand market it seems like these features are pretty much decoupled from the GPS uh, whereas uh, your experience in the in the US uh, is is a is a step further so for instance I can go onto the motorway uh, and it will, you know, basically, it's it's going to follow the, you know, the uh, the motorway pretty uh, pretty pretty nicely. I can tap the indicator, uh, and if I'm, you know, tap it to indicate right, then it will look for a gap, and then it will move across into the right lane. Uh, but I I didn't see it sort of doing the what it what it does uh, for you, Miriam, which is, um, you know, really it decides what's the best lane to be in. It'll move, you know, it'll move lanes accordingly. And uh, you know, re- really take you uh, along your journey, or certainly the um, uh, the freeway part of your journey. So maybe you can describe for us how how that actually works for you in practice. If you're you know going from one city to another, you've brought, you've got the journey uh, you know into uh, into the GPS. You've set the route. What what does that look like? How much do you have to drive, and how much can you uh, leave in the hands of, the, of autopilot? And uh, how attentive are you? Yeah, so that's a very multi-part answer. I want to preface this. Please bear with me here because this is important. I think the audience needs to understand a few things about me as a person. Number one, I'm a car enthusiast. So I bought a Model 3 not because only I need long range and supercharging stations for my needs because I don't charge at home uh, and I travel long distances. But I've also bought it because it is a phenomenal car in terms of driving dynamics. It is absolutely a driver's car. All Teslas are, but the three is the best of them all uh, currently. And this comes from me being a car enthusiast. I, I have two other vehicles that are stick shift, manual transmission, which, as you know, is not very common in the U.S., um, and getting rarer everywhere else in the world as well. And that's my, my background. My my dad used to rally race. I like I like I've been around cars since from a young age. You know, I've been sideways in a car from a very young age. I don't get freaked out when cars do weird things. I kind of have an intuitive understanding of vehicle dynamics and the physics involved. Um, I'm very you know picky about keeping my tires in good condition and all that stuff, maintaining my cars to the T. So you're not talking about the average user, number one. Number yeah, you've two. Got, you've I, gone from a from driving a Porsche as your main car to driving the T. I still have right? the Porsche. I would yeah. never give up my Porsche because it's a stick shift. It's a completely analog experience. It's very different, uh, but just as awesome. Um, I'm also... 
I'm I'm also a nerd, and I'm not just like a tech journalist uh, who also does some consulting. As you know, basically like a marketing type person because that's the consulting I do. My background is as an engineer. I worked as a software engineer, writing uh, video, making video games for a few years. So I. I'm a technical person and I'm amazed with the technology that I see in these cars like the Tesla and even modern uh, electric, uh, non-electric, like uh, I see uh, uh, gas, gasoline, petrol cars. But I think that what Tesla has done, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, we keep, we keep hearing these stories of Tesla killers, but they, they don't exist because nobody does software and services like Tesla, not only do they make a phenomenal car in terms of hardware, and, and it does have its quirks, it does have its issues, the fit and finish, the materials, all that could be better and it's improved drastically. Mine is fine, but it's no Porsche, it's no Audi, it's no Mercedes, it's no BMW, okay? At the same time, they will learn and they will improve it. They, they're new, they're just starting. But not, not only do they make good hardware that's phenomenal to drive, but the software and the services like Autopilot are completely unprecedented in the industry. There's only one other company right now that has something that can compete with the base Autopilot, what you were able to experience, Paul. And that's GM with Super Cruise. And I haven't tried it myself, but I hear a lot of good things. A lot of my friends are car journalists, and they've told me a lot of good things, and I trust their judgment. Now, with Autopilot, what you have to understand is that in the I've had the car since, as we said, July, and I've put 8,000 miles on it. And so I've seen the car learn. I've seen the car improved. I've received a software update a month. And in these software updates, I'm seeing drastic improvement in Autopilot's performance. It's less and less hesitant. It's more and more assertive. It is more and more, it can do more and more of the workload of the human. And it does so more reliable and more consistently. You still have to be there and be attentive. And it's still very much a beta thing. And it's still why Tesla says, keep your hands on the wheels. Because every now and then, you have to think of it as a three-year-old baby that has learned at an accelerated rate how to drive. That's basically what it is. And every now and then, it just throws its arm in the air and goes, I don't know what's going on. Please take over. And you have to be there for that. It's super rare. It's happened four or five times in 8,000 miles of driving for me. And I would say out of those 8,000 drives, it's probably fair to say I've driven a third of those on autopilot. Okay, so now what's the experience like? There are two kinds of autopilot. This is a new one was kind of introduced about two months ago and I've used it extensively. It's called Navigate on Autopilot. It's an additional feature. So when you enter a destination in the nav system, if you are mostly going to take a motorways to get to your destination, it will route you but without human intervention through changing motorways and exiting and entering the motorway. So it doesn't drive in the city for you. It doesn't drive out in the countryside for you, but it will drive on the motorways as soon as from the moment you enter the the, the basically the, the on-ramp to the moment you exit the off-ramp. And it's uncanny how good it is. Now, it's, it's performance... Um, and, and again, performance, there's two levels here. Does it give up? Very rarely. And again, I told you about that. But there's also the other aspect of performance. Let, measuring it compared to an experienced human driver like me, it can be frustrating at times because you can tell it's it's an AI and it's learning and it's slow and it's unassertive. And, and, and that doesn't work. You know, if you're in Europe driving in Italy, 
you better be assertive on the motorway. I think your example earlier of autopilot being us on the autobahn in Germany would be actually very dangerous because I don't think it is trained to handle the autobahn, right? It is not trained for cars coming from when you're already doing 100 miles an hour, having cars come behind you at 150 miles an hour. Um, and its sensors wouldn't detect that. It's not designed for that. So I think that there are there, the thing the U.S. market, for better or for worse, is probably the best implementation of 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 autopilot and navigate on autopilot because it was kind of created for that market. And I think it applies to other markets. There are other countries that are big and flat and have lots of big roads, right? Uh, Potentially Australia, uh, you know, some parts of Russia and Europe, I think, uh, except the European, you have the, the very assertive European driving. You know, I was born and raised in France. I learned to drive there. I can drive like a complete maniac if I have to. And, and you know, there's a Mad Max mode for autopilot for lane changes. And basically, Mad Max mode is about the same as when I'm the gentlest changing lanes, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, to give you an example. Okay. Yeah. So, so what does it do for you? You get on the freeway, basically, it w routes you through changing lanes by confirming with the turn signal stock. And, and it takes you to your destination pretty much in a completely autonomous way. That's what autopilot does. Now, you still need to pay attention because, again, it could give up and throw its arms in here any second. Remember, it's a three-year-old with accelerated learning. This is not an adult driving, right? And also the problem with the system is that to keep costs reasonable and make this a viable technology that you can buy today, not in 10 years, Tesla chose um, to go with more affordable sensors, which is an array of cameras, an array of ultrasonic sensors, an array of radar systems. They do not have LiDAR, which is, you know, considered like Waymo uses it. It was just considered like the way to go because it's the most accurate way of getting sense of what's around you. That's what our brains do in real time with our eyes, except we only do it in one direction. That's why we pivot our eyes, uh, I mean, our heads by looking on the sh over our shoulders when we change lanes and looking at our rear mirrors, etc. I mean, a good driver should. So they don't have LIDAR and and so it makes them unaware of some things like, for example, a stopped object on the middle of the road. They're not going to detect that, especially if it's like debris, like a, a tire that's exploded. It was common in the U.S. In, in Europe, they don't, you know, they have crews that instantly clean the highway because the debris could be dangerous. But in the U.S., we have thousands of miles of freeway and they couldn't maintain it that well. So you sometimes drive along and you have to swerve. Suddenly you have to get out of the way of like a piece of furniture that fell off the back of a truck. You know, the lorry just dropped it and there you are. So um, you autopilot cannot deal with that. It will just plow right into that thing and damage the car. And so you have to be there and be aware. But I'll tell you this. What I've noticed is if you're driving hundreds and hundreds of miles in a day, the fact that I can be a little less attentive, that I don't have to constantly turn the wheel and play with the pedals and I can – you know, kind of just keep an eye on the road, scan the road, but do really nothing else is actually quite relaxing. And it's it's not like sleep-inducing relaxing, which is very odd. I would thought I would think I would fall asleep, but that's never happened. I was curious I'm, about that. What, what it would be to, like ongoing. Somehow I'm more likely to fall asleep when I'm holding the wheel and I'm not on autopilot. And if you want, I mean, look, you, you shouldn't fall asleep driving. This is one of the biggest dangers, I think, in our day, in our times today. But um, if you're going to do it, doing it on autopilot, it's going to be way safer because if you if event if you're with someone else, hopefully they wake up they wake you up. But if you're not with anybody else, autopilot will eventually pull the car over because they won't feel your steering input or your 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 attention, and it will try to pull over gently and safely on the side of the road. Um, 
And so, look, all I'm saying is that I'm, I was very skeptical going into this. I bought the car primarily for, you know, the car that, because I like the fact that it's, it, it's a driver's car because I've driven many, many Teslas before. So I knew what I was getting into. It's a driver's car. I like, I like the fact that it has good range, that it has uh, a good, you know, a good charging network. And it's very ultra modern in terms of its technology because I'm a technology buff. But I'm, what I'm discovering, and I bought the autopilot because I was like, oh, I need to try that out, right? And I didn't think I'd use it much, but I end up using it. And and I feel like it does it very well. And and But it does, you have to be aware of its limitations. And I think that's the big danger here. And that's kind of what you say, you know, when you talk about Elon tweeting and stuff. He said, I don't think this is ready for the average person. You know, I am a car enthusiast who knows how to drive pretty well and is a tech person and understands the limitations of the technology because I understand the sensors, I understand the software, I understand machine learning, I understand AI. That's a lot. That's a lot. There are people now getting Model 3s. Like you, they're invading. Like you wouldn't believe how many Model 3s there are every month. Every month that I tra- if I travel so much that I'm sometimes away for a month. Every month I come home, and whether it's Portland or San Francisco, the, I see more Model 3s on the streets. They're making so many of them. They outsold every other car luxury car maker in the last quarter. So these people, they they're, they're already bad drivers. Most Americans are terrible drivers. They probably don't understand the technology like in the same way as they use a smartphone every day. It's the most advanced computer in the entire universe, and they don't know how good they have it. And that does worry me. That does worry me because, you know, there's a lot of misinformation. I think most reasonable people go into it with a level of skepticism that keeps them uh, safe and keeps them attentive enough to the technology, even if they don't understand it and they're not good drivers. But I think there's also a lot of people who are just kind of eating the the Kool-Aid or drinking the Kool-Aid or eating, you know, eating what's fed by the media to them and don't really understand what they're getting into. And that's, I think, the danger here. Um, that being said, honestly, I would much rather people be on autopilot if they're bad drivers, then be driving themselves right now. Good call. Good call. And and look, you know, I found the, the experience on autopilot on the motorway uh, in New Zealand was actually, was actually really, really good. But, uh, yeah, I was curious. What, what's it like? You've had it for, uh, you know, for some time, uh, and how do you handle it on those long journeys? So, um, yeah, that, that's good to hear that that's a, that's a positive experience and you're not, uh, you know, completely uh, losing interest. I, I find, um, and maybe... Maybe this is, uh, um, you know, just a, a trait I have, but I'm easily distracted. So, um, yeah, I could find myself, you know, noting that the car was doing such a good job, uh, I could easily find myself uh, not paying maybe as much attention as I as I should have been to uh, to the road. Uh, but that said, I, f- I felt pretty safe when I was on the motorway. Now, when I went against the instructions uh, from Tesla and decided to try it out on some other streets uh, around Auckland... And look, it seems to be the best experiences is when you've got you know a, a white lines on both sides of you. Yeah, uh, yeah. it will try and center itself between um, you know the lines. Uh, then that works works pretty well. Uh, but where you get get say a a vehicle that's parked out a li- you know a little bit too far uh, into your lane, or it's sticking out, or there's something odd like you were talking about if it's something in the street. Um, autopilot doesn't doesn't necessarily figure figure that out so well. Uh, and also in in those sort of um, streets or in in certain areas that aren't, you know, the motorway, you can pretty much go the speed limit the whole time. 
and because the, what we're seeing the experience with autopilot is, as I say, it, it, it seems as though it's decoupled from UPS. It's not the navigate on autopilot that, that you now have uh, that was launched back in uh, in October. Uh, we don't have that you know capability just yet, and uh, and I feel like we're on you know maybe the prior or the prior to the prior. Um, in, in terms of how some of that technology works. So I noticed going into a corner where normally you would slow down, there may be even be a, a sign uh, that tells you, hey, take this corner at, um, you know, 35 kilometres an hour rather than 100. Um, it just doesn't actually know about that just yet. So, you know, you have to be aware that, uh, you know, where, where we are with the, with the technology uh, is you know it's a, it's a progression, and as you say, uh, Miriam is going to get better and better, uh, particularly as those things that are trialled in the US become ready for for uh, international markets. But uh, I think you've got to pay a bit more attention uh, here in in New Zealand, unless you're on one of those long journeys on the motorway, uh, in which case you still do need to uh, you still need to pay you know some some attention as what you do when you're driving. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to add really quickly that I think that, you know, it is lear- it is improving drastically. Like if I compare it to what I had in July, it is so much better. And, you know, Elon's talked about adding traffic light and stop sign and traffic sign recognition. And then it could potentially slow down on a curve. Right now on the US, it does it via GPS. So it knows that I'm on the freeway. It knows the freeway. It's got it in the GPS. I'm on navigate on autopilot and it will slow down approaching a curve, even though I set the autopilot 10 miles over the speed limit. Okay. Um, okay. That's interesting. And the interesting. funny thing is, though, here's what's interesting. It doesn't have to because the car is, is such a – it handles so well that if I manually drive the car through that curve, I can go full speed. Um, so it's really interesting because that's the only part that is a little tricky. This drive from Portland to San Francisco, about half of it is through mountainous areas. The, even the motorway is extremely curvy and extremely hilly. Um, and, and so, you know, um, I – tend to drive pretty fast in these conditions, weather permitting. And obviously in the winter, it's harder because it does snow up in the peaks. Uh, But I feel that, you know, uh, it's being very conservative, the autopilot, compared to what it could do in those circumstances. And that's where I I don't use it because I find that, you know, it's – it's kind of a bit jarring that it just slows down at a curve that I know damn well the car can handle and I get frustrated. So I turn autopilot off and I go, come on, let's go. You know, I don't have all sure, day to sure. do this. Yeah, I yeah. kind of do because it's the whole day trip. But I mean, it feels like I want it to go a little faster. But on the more flatter, more like, you know, Northern California, the valley between San Francisco and Redding, those 250 miles are pretty much flat, uh, you know, pretty much straight line driving. And for that, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. The other thing that's absolutely perfect for that you probably don't experience in Auckland is and we do a bit in the Bay Area, although I don't commute to work, so I don't have to deal with that. But I'm sure in LA would be in godsend is bumper to bumper traffic jam traffic. Autopilot is absolutely amazing. Oh, in that it's condition. awesome for that. Yeah, you just turn it I, on, agree. and you can. I can at this point. I can literally say you don't have to worry about objects on the road. You can. I. I. I please don't do this, but you could text and ch- check your email, and you know. Get a whole bunch of work done. Miriam, I would never if, do. I would never do those things. If you're moving things. at two miles an hour and you're stopping every two seconds, honestly, autopilot does such a phenomenal job at keeping the car in the lane for you, and stopping and starting and stopping and starting. It is kind of remarkable for that. Well, in those, in those scenarios, and 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 I remember go, you know going through this last week. 
I could totally imagine a time where you're having to deal with a busy commute and, you know, when we're a little bit further along and it's legal and so on, uh, that you would be hanging out with your laptop and actually it's your mobile office at that stage, right? Uh, Absolutely. Because it, cause yeah. that is, that's a pretty low-risk situation when you are bumper to bumper and things are moving along uh, slowly. The technology handle, handles that Absolutely brilliantly. Now, I should actually correct myself. Earlier I sort of said that decoupled, that autopilot sort of decoupled from the GPS. Not entirely because uh, in Auckland it does pick up that, you know, varying parts of the motorway 80, which um, I, I'm kind of, there are parts of, parts of that that I'm, uh, I maybe flaunt a little bit and uh, ignore the fact that it's, it's 80 because it used to be 100 in those areas and they've slowed it, slowed it down. But it, do, it does comply with those things. Uh, when, the, when the speed limit jumps from 80 to 100, it can be a little bit slow to um, uh, you know, pick that up. But you know, eventually it, it does. And maybe that's because uh, the, the maps that they're operating off maybe haven't picked up some of the most recent and, and updates think, yeah. on, the, on, the, on the roads that have happened in Auckland recently. I mean, this is the wonders of the living in Silicon Valley part of my time or most of my time is that, you know, these these roads are mapped to death, right? Not just by services like Google and here and others that specialize in navigation, but by by Tesla's own autopilot feeding back to the mothership. Remember, this is a 4G LTE connected vehicle that sends all of its anonymous data back to the the big AI in the sky that Tesla is running on gigantic server farm somewhere. And instantly, anything your car learns gets you know passed on to every other Tesla on the network. So it's a three year old you know brain that is connected to a whole bunch of other three-year-old brains you can just imagine how much chaos and mayhem that can bring but uh, it's very it's very impressive i mean and i think that's that's it's the whole package people are not looking at you know people are often panning the tesla I, i see that amongst car journalists and tech journalists and i don't understand where they're coming from like to me it's just like you have to be objective here this is a this is an absolute magnificent feat of engineering, both from a software perspective and a hardware perspective, and both from a kind of traditional car perspective and from a tech perspective. Nobody else has put it together this way, and I'm really hoping we're going to get competition soon. Well, but I'm I th- not I seeing the the, the, the piece I'm not I'm seeing, seeing the big companies trying hard enough right now. I mean, they the are continuous but not software really hard updates enough. as the as the piece that nobody else seems to really be you know playing in in the same way. I mean, that way they they really get it, and that that to me is a big game changer. The fact that you know you 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 buy a car with certain features, and then in the future it gets you know a whole lot of better features. Um, although you know Elon's maybe. Um, um, you know, pushed some things that have taken long, longer to come, which hasn't helped. But um, now we must move on. We've got a few other topics to uh, to get through. So thank you for that, Miriam. Uh, sure. Now I've got uh, I've got here from uh, from Spark their um, the Space Talk uh, GPS Kids Watch, and uh, this lets uh, lets youngsters basically you can you know pre-program in some uh, uh, some approved 
numbers. You've got uh, school mode and you know, a bun- bunch of other things. Um, I haven't had a chance to uh, to try it yet, and I won't be trying. I won't be wearing it personally. Uh, but this is something that we will uh, we will try out. Pablo's going to uh, uh, going to give this one a spin, and uh, you basically you 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 get the uh, the watch with a uh, has a nano nano sim goes into it. And then you pay a, a, I think it's quite a pretty small monthly subscription, which covers the data and the calls and so on, just a flat rate. Uh, and then uh, it's powered by this thing called All My Tribe, and there's a subscription for that as well. But it, it seems reasonably, uh, reasonably low cost to run. The the question for me is, how robust is is the watch? How well uh, does it work? Is it actually useful? Uh, you know, I don't know whether this is sort of useful for for uh, for an eight year old. Um, it'll be useful for me knowing where 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 he is when he's uh, um, not not at the house, and um, you know we we can't find him at the neighbour's house because they've uh, duck, ducked off somewhere, um, which doesn't happen too often, fortunately. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious. So um, that's something I'll report back on in, in the new year of the experiences on that. Uh, the other thing we have from Spark is their uh, Nokia 7.1 that we talked about on an earlier uh, episode, and. Anyone who's interested in one of those, um, it would be worth heading along to nztechpodcast.com slash giveaway and uh, just jump in and um, fill out our – we're doing a little bit of a listener survey there. Um, so if you can help us out with a, with a few questions, very quick and easy to do. And just a reminder for listeners that uh, usually it's a pretty small percentage of, of uh, listeners that actually tend to uh, – uh, tend to you know make that effort to visit the website, so your chances are pretty uh, uh, are pretty reasonable of actually uh, uh, getting the phone. And um, the the Nokia seven point one is actually um, is certainly a handset. I'm I'm a bit of a, a, a fan of. Uh, I love that it runs uh, Android one. So in terms of getting those software updates uh, through, I mean, d- definitely uh, something that's good in a business environment. And uh, look, seems to be pretty solid and 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 well made. Miriam, you've um, you've looked at the the uh, the Nokia seven point uh, one on the mobile tech um, podcast. What what were your uh, your impressions of it? Because uh, you know, you I know you always have opinions on these things. What did what did uh, what did you what did you like most? And uh, you know, the I guess there were, there would have been a dislike or two. Um. Uh, honestly, uh, I, I liked it a lot because it's the first, um, first of all, one of the first Nokia phones from the new HMD Global Ro- Reboot I've had a chance to play with because we don't get them here in the U.S. And you know how it is if you're a U.S.-based publication, they don't sell them here. So then it's much harder to get through PR channels. Um, so the 7.1 is available in the U.S., so is the 6.1. And I think uh, maybe a couple other models that are lower end than that. And so I've got both 6.1 and and I did have the 7.1 briefly. Unfortunately, they had a very limited quantity of devices. So I only kept it for a couple of weeks before I had to return it. Um, I like the build quality and the materials, the fit and finish. I felt it had that it had that that Nokia vibe that we've always known Nokia makes phones that are really robust, and you really can feel that they've maintained that. Uh, um, you know, the camera is decent for the money. It has nice optics, like a lot of past Nokia cameras, and this is an area area. That uh, another area in which I think Nokia is doing pretty well. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I, I have flagships in my pocket every day, so it's kind of unfair comparison. But, 
you know, my job as a tech journalist uh, is to kind of adjust my expectations based on the kind of the, the where in the range the device falls. And I have to say that I think that for the 7.1, the camera is uh, is pretty solid. Uh, and then, you know, overall, I had really no issues. Uh, Android Android uh, One is a phenomenal, great idea f- for manufacturers to use. I think that more companies, especially the Chinese companies, when they come to the West, should adopt Android One rather than making uh, fake iPhone skins on top of Android, which make lives uh, everybody's lives difficult. Um, I actually do believe that Android One is a purer version of Android than what's on the Pixel, which is my daily driver. I feel that Google has kind of like created their own skin in a way on top of Android with the Pixel in the last three years. And it's not too far removed in the same way as OnePlus's and Motorola's skins are not very far removed from pure Android, but it's still a deviation. I wish I could get a pure Android one Pixel. So that's a, that's a plus. On the minus side, I think it's a little pricey. Uh, for what it is, and I think that um, again, my my big concern is is that I want, even though I know Nokia right now is doing pretty well abroad, and they really had probably don't have much of a chance in the U.S. market because they were never even known as a smartphone company in the U.S. They only peddled dumb phones or whatever you want to call feature phones. Even in the Symbian days, they didn't really sell Symbian much here. Uh, they had two or three phones in that time period. Uh, and never mind Windows Phone either, right? So I think that I, I wish they were more readily available. I wish I could find them easily and recommend them easily to people who need a warranty, who who are going to spend their unheard money on a device they're going to keep for two years. So I have very few niggles, really, with this phone. The 7.1 in particular, the 6.1, you know, we're not really talking about that right now, but it is the other one that's available in the U.S. That one is it's much more lower mid-range, and I, you know, I don't think I'd recommend it, but I definitely would recommend the 7.1. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, now, another couple of things I just wanted to uh, jump into quickly. Uh, last week, I, t- I talked about the new uh, Freeview recorder uh, that Freeview had recorded here, and that runs uh, Android TV uh, software, and then it's got a, uh, a terrestrial tuner, so you can plug an aerial in, uh, as well as a, uh, a satellite tuner and can you know record um, you know, multi-programs concurrently, depending on what you've got hooked, hooked up uh, in terms of how many. Uh, so I took this home and I tried it out. Um, look, it's it's you know it's very nice, and I've used TiVo and you know varying other boxes that do do this sort of stuff uh, in the past. But the bit that I was expecting was there would be a Netflix app on there, uh, and there wasn't. Now um, I haven't spent too much time with it, but um, the the response I got back is that they don't they don't seem to have got that. Uh, Netflix haven't you know come on board. I'm 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 still haven't got my head around that with it running Android TV. Why uh, that wouldn't wouldn't just be uh, there, but maybe uh, with Android TV it has to be approved per device. Uh, not too sure on that uh, situation. I imagine maybe there's some way of getting it on there. Uh, the other one I couldn't find was uh, the Amazon uh, Video app. Uh, now one thing to point out is I was using my US. Um, Google uh, login, so that that may have uh, impacted things as as well. Um, so yeah, there. But it, but what I found was uh, very very quick and easy uh, to set up. And if you've got an Android phone, then all the all the easier. Basically, it links up over Bluetooth, and away you go, and it hands off your uh, uh, Wi-Fi details off to uh, the the recorder. 
and uh, you know away you go. So uh, very very slick and very easy. Now what I did miss last week is alongside that uh, there's a Android TV stick that Freeview launching as well uh, into the New Zealand market. And from what I saw of the remote, and it was I think it was due to arrive here today, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but what I saw in a little bit of coverage was that appears to have a Netflix button on it. Uh, so if that is the and if that if that is the case, then uh, that that one may be all uh, all set to go for uh, Netflix and um, and and the like, as well as our you know local offerings like uh, like Lightbox, and that one's um, I think around not ninety dollars, so uh, certainly more accessible. Uh, but the one commonality across these two devices is one login now to Freeview will give you access uh, to the Freeview uh, content. Rather than having to get one for TVNZ for for their on demand and the three now and uh, Multi TV, you basically got one log and will give you access to uh, to all this content. And the the Android TV stick uh, is pure internet based uh, access to uh, uh, to content. And uh, yeah, that that's that's certainly an alternative that I'm sure will be relevant to some people that have got a reasonable internet connection, but they actually can't be. Uh, can't be bothered with satellite dishes and and aerials, or maybe they're in an area which doesn't have such good coverage um, anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm always always keen to see what's happening in that sort of entertainment front. Um, uh, Miriam, how do you consume most of your content? Are you very much sort of Netflix and so on these days, or uh, you know you have satellite or. No, no, I uh, I cut cable in 1998, and I haven't really looked back, and that includes satellite. Um, I um, personally don't watch much. I'm, I'm on YouTube a lot. Um, I will occasionally watch Netflix and Amazon Video. Um, Theo does certainly a lot more watching than I do, and uh, but we don't subscribe to anything other than like the f- a few basic services like like uh, Netflix and Amazon Video, and then we have access to a friend's account, um, a cable TV account, uh, so we can log in to watch shows that are only available through uh, normally television subscription like cable. Uh, by streaming them from anywhere, as long as we VPN back into San Francisco area, since our friend is in the Bay Area, <laughs> yeah. we're good to go. So yeah, that's yeah. that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we uh, we help each other out, I guess, because it's. I mean, if you want to get any sort of cable television here in the U.S., you're looking at a hundred U.S. dollars a month minimum, and it's so it's so excessive. You don't really get to pick and choose. Uh, it's not very a la carte. I mean, it's just packages, and even the basic packages has hundreds of channels that you'll never watch. And, and that's uh, why so many people are walking away, right? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, I think I think you know, we have an Apple TV and a projector uh, when we want to watch things together. That's what we do. And we it's mostly using either free services or the one we pay for, which is Netflix and Amazon. We get through Prime and has some stuff on there. Like, you know, the Grand Tour is one of my things I like to watch on there as a car person. And then, you know, uh, I think the other stuff is through our friends' uh, login and uh, uh, through their cable because they have a family. They have children, so they kind of have to have cable apparently. I don't understand this, but supposedly that's what everybody who's a parent tells me. Mm. Maybe it appeases the youngsters in some way. I don't know. Mm. Now on to uh, space. I want to talk about space for for two reasons. In the in the last few days, we've had um, Virgin Galactic, uh, Richard Branson's mm-hmm. uh, firm, who have uh, um, you know finally, and they you know they had a bit of an issue some uh, some some years ago, 
and that really put a sort of a damper on things. Uh, you know, some someone one or or two people that uh, uh, that that died in that uh, in that failure. Um, yeah. But they're sort of at at that next level now, so they've been getting a lot of uh, you know a lot of a lot of coverage over the last uh, probably about a week. And a couple of couple of bits have stood out to me. One is a sort of debate of you know how 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 high do you actually have to be uh, to be considered space? And certainly when you see the the footage from where they get to, it looks like space to me. Uh, there there is some yeah some some debate. Uh, they're they're going to about uh, fifty miles or or so. Uh, up some some people are saying that that space other people are and there's, there's no you know arbitrary sort of line that I think has been uh, uh, you know defined at an international level or anything like that some other people are sort of saying well you know once you, once you get to um, uh, 61 kilometers uh, sorry 61 miles uh, then uh, then you know that's really space I think what are they getting to they're getting to 80 80, just over uh, or between 82 and 83 um, kilometers up so um, you know that's uh, that that's that's pretty pretty impressive uh, but then I saw uh, today that they're getting they're getting a bit of uh, flack uh, that their uh, their space flights are uh, uh, being criticized as being dangerous and dead end uh, technology so um yeah, it's not all. All is not uh, all is not positive in terms of the uh, uh, the the coverage for them, and certainly they seem to have been uh, moving reasonably slowly in in recent years. I mean, it, it's it's quite some years since people sort of started saying that they uh, uh, you know they had bought their tickets to uh, to to go to space with Virgin, and uh, um, you know I guess it's it's a it's a little bit like. Uh, uh, maybe you know expectations around uh, autonomous vehicles that are coming a bit slower. It seems uh, it, it's taking a long time for uh, uh, for it to be accessible and, and not accessible to everyone, uh, obviously. But uh, to to those that can afford to uh, uh, spend in the direction of two hundred thousand on a uh, uh, Virgin Galactic uh, ticket, uh, it's, it's, it seems to be taking some time. Uh, have you got any uh, any thoughts on on this stuff? Is this uh, a, an area of interest to you? Do you want to get up into uh, space, Miriam? Uh, doesn't everyone? I mean, I, I would love to. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I don't think that uh, I can. Number one, I don't think I can afford it. I think that uh, I'm also not in the in the in kind of shape. I think I need to be to go into space. Uh, I still think believe, believe it's, it would take quite a bit of a toll on my body. Um, but that being that aside, if they could magically find a way to make it happen, I'd be there uh, at a more reasonable cost. I think somebody's got to start it. Like, look, I'm a. Uh, here's my take. You know, again, I'm a nerd, right? So for me, going to space is important. We need to make this happen. I think I'd rather us spend money on trying to go to space, into space, and especially this privatization of space travel that's been happening. I think is really important because it creates competition, and. Um, Every time we've gone to space and put a lot of resources about going to space, we've acquired a whole ton of technology that's been beneficial to us in down on Earth, right? Every time. So um, I'm, I'm for it. And I'd, again, I'd rather see that money being spent there than being spent on military spending or other you know, prisons or other things, right? So, of course, in this country, in the U.S., that's not happening, but I'm, I'm hoping that uh, more private companies pursued. I, I like what SpaceX is doing. I like what Blue Origin, Amazon, 
Jeff Bezos's company is doing. Of course, SpaceX is Elon's company, Elon Musk. Uh, and then you know there's 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 what what uh, Rocket Lab uh, here in New Zealand. Richard Brand, Branson's company, uh, uh, Virgin Galactic, is doing. And I think look, whether it's 61 miles or 83 miles or what it needs to be. Look, the first flight that the Americans did in the 60s after Yuri Gagarin went into space. Mm. He actually legitimately went into space, and then the Americans, like you know, struggled to catch up because they didn't expect this to happen in the same way as Sputnik beat them to space, the first yeah, satellite. Yeah. They they were scrambling, and the first flight, I can't remember who the astronaut was, the American, but it was they were just skimming the the you know they they did it wasn't basically what Virgin is doing. It, it was yeah, just yeah. sixty miles up. It wasn't fully space. It wasn't this until the second flight that the Americans actually went into orbit proper. And again, what's the difference between going to space and going to orbit? There's quite a bit of a difference. Also depends what orbit you're going for. You know, if you want stage, uh, space station orbit, that's one thing. You want geostationary, that's another thing altogether, right? Different heights. So, look, I'm not going to argue. I, I I was really disappointed. I mean, disappointed is not the word because obviously it's it's more of a tragedy than disappointment. But I was saddened by what happened to Virgin Galactic, the setback they had a few years ago. I kept an eye on it. Um I was hoping they would uh, recover fully. It seems like they have. I think this is well on track. I wish those very rich, relatively fit space tourists, you know, Godspeed, like do it, great. Like make it cheaper for us in the same way as I didn't buy a Model S but now I have a Model 3, you know? Like yeah, yeah. eventually it will get to the point where hopefully other people can do it. And I think we're going to learn so much about so many things, uh, technology and not just technology, but I think health, uh, you know, about uh, physiology that is going to come back to help us, uh, hopefully with healthcare and other things um, down on earth. And, uh, you know, I worked in medical imaging before I worked in video games. I have a kind of a long career as a nerd. And um, it was at, in the university, it was research. And, and you know, it's it's kind of incredible how the human body works and, and the, the kind of stuff that we can endure, but at the same time, you know, there's there's really so much, there's only so much we can do before we break, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's kind of magical to think that. Well, I think that's one of the concerns, isn't it? Is, is yeah. what, how, how safe is, is what Virgin are doing? And uh, I think it's an Australian, uh, a- Andy Thomas, who uh, um, joined NASA's, uh, you know, space space program after uh, uh, becoming a U.S. Uh, US citizen. Uh, who's who's yeah, sort of throwing stones at a little bit, and he's you know he seems to be quite concerned on the on the safety front, uh, and you know also the fact that basically this thing sort of just flies up to you know the edge of space or just over depending on how you measure it, and then just you know comes comes down again that it's not you know maybe may as exciting as a lot of the other sort of space things we're seeing, but uh, um, you know you've got to give them some some credit for their perseverance and uh look i'm I'm sure we'll see a lot more people getting into space because of it right and I think the technology that's going to come back from it I think is going to mm. be beneficial as well and and you know bragging rights i mean if you again if you have the money and you're fit you know you have to understand like the thing you have to everybody has to understand you might not have you might not have thought about this as just a, an average listener of the show here but these people are going to get sick as dogs up there. They're going to be throwing up everywhere for those three <laughs> minutes they're in space. It's going to be a disgusting mess. But they will have spent a lot of money and trained for a few days, weeks maybe, to be fit enough to do it. And they will be able to say, look, 
I was in space. And yes, it was horrible. Yes, I got sick. And and that's okay. You know what? That's okay. I don't think it's unsafe. I think that it's I think it needs to happen. I think it's a gimmick. But if a gimmick is going to bring us forward as a species and let us uh, you know, explore in eventually interstellar space faster, I think this is a this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, we, we'll certainly see what comes of it. Now, uh, and another uh, another company that's uh, that's that's getting into space is Rocket Lab uh, here in New Zealand, who, of course, are, are known as Rocket Lab USA um, <laughs> because funny. of how they're funded and and because their their headquarters are now in uh, in in California. Even though it's you know it's fair to say that still uh, you know the the lion's share of the work. Uh, uh, you know, happen happens in in New Zealand, but for all sorts of reasons, and uh, and because you know, yeah, no doubt they needed to get funding, uh, and they needed to get customers like NASA on board. Uh, the, over the weekend, they uh, they just did their first uh, their first launch for uh, uh, for NASA, which was uh, you know pr- pretty pretty exciting, and uh, this was I think the uh, the fir- the first time uh, that NASA had. Uh, booked basically, uh, you know, a whole private rocket to carry uh, CubeSats for NASA uh, in, into space, and uh, so you know, this is this is sort of you know a taste of what we'll see from from Rocket Lab uh, going forward. This is now uh, you know the second commercial uh, payload that they've they've uh, they've delivered or they've t- you know taken to space within uh, you know within about a month. And you know they're talking of moving this up ultimately to uh, to launches weekly, which when we compare that with what happens in the U.S., I think there's about 20 space launches a, uh, or so a year out of the U.S. at the moment. So it's on a different scale because these are uh, you know much smaller rockets than than the likes of uh, uh, what SpaceX are doing. But uh, look, I, I think this is really exciting, and uh, you know they're doing it using really you know innovative technology with their 3D printed. Uh, you know engines and you know carbon uh, you know composite rockets and so on. So um, yeah, look definitely for for those who haven't uh, haven't caught any of the videos, it's uh, it's well worth a look. And uh, there there is lots of coverage online. Uh, and the most recent New Zealand business podcast episode I did I uh, was was with uh, Peter Beck, who's the the CEO and, and founder, and that's just fascinating to hear a bit of uh, a bit of his story. Miriam, are you hearing much about Rocket Lab? Uh, you know, they're getting much much coverage in the media. You see, I mean, I, I noticed bits and pieces coming up on the Verge and uh, and and the like, maybe in, in Gadget, a little bit of coverage there, but uh, you know, not it's probably not much. getting uh, you know mass main, I mean, mainstream coverage. Right? No, definitely not mainstream. I mean, you 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 see, you know, honestly, even Blue Origin and Space. I mean, SpaceX gets mainstream coverage sometimes, mostly when something goes wrong, because <laughs> you know people just love other people's misery. I think that's human nature. Uh, but uh, I think that um, you know Blue Origin every now and then gets some attention, mostly because of Jeff Bezos's co- you know connection. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't heard too much coverage here, uh, unless you look at tech coverage. Mm, mm. Okay. Uh, now, before we uh, before we finish up, the um, the other bit of tech, and this is very much uh, your area, is uh, smartphones with these um, 
uh, sort of you know cut out uh, holes or, or you know um, what's the, what's the what's the term for them a punch hole sort of uh, uh, in in the screen hole for punch. the for yeah the, I keep for saying the, it wrong it's, it's hole I guess it's hole punch because yeah. you know it's like a hole punch that yeah. you use to punch yeah. a hole through a binder sheet yeah um, but I keep saying punch hole but that's not, not right it's hole punch yeah I'm, um, I'm yes. seeing some coverage refer to it as a as a as a punch hole so maybe the the out the output of using a, a hole punch is you get a punch hole. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, Correct. we've got uh, you know we've got a couple of variations. Uh, you know, I think uh, Huawei and Samsung and uh, Honor. and, and Honor uh, now with their View View Twenty are uh, you know these are all all devices that are uh, uh, you know they've ditched the notch and you've sort of got a got a hole in the in the screen. Have you seen any of the any of these yet? I mean, I'm I'm reading about them, but I I don't think any of them have kind of uh, uh, landed here. It's you know it's a bit of you no. know reporting. From from offshore, but um, I'm they, they kind of in two minds. They, what you know, what you know, whether you want a sort of a black spot uh, on your screen, or whether keeping it to the edge is actually a, a better way to do it in some ways. I mean, obviously, these phones were announced at events in China. I know some journalists attended these events, so these phones exist, and they will be eventually making their way into some markets, probably the European and maybe New Zealand. I don't think we'll see these phones in the U.S. at all. The View 20 might come to the U.S. Uh, uh, Honor has some briefings at CS, so we'll see what happens. Uh the view tw- the view 10 made it to to uh, to the US last year so you hopefully but i don't expect the nova 4 the huawei phone or the galaxy a8s to make it to the s although the galaxy does have a chance there are some some galaxy a devices in the US very limited the thing you have to understand the US market does not buy mid-range phones like it's hard to explain this to people but Imagine you lived in a world where everything in the mobile space that you can get through an operator is subsidized. What does it matter whether you spend $21 a month or $18 a month, right? You're going to spend $21 a month and get the best phone you can get, which is going to be in the US a Galaxy or an iPhone. That's the, We live in a duopoly just like our crazy political system where you really the mainstream only has two choices right you buy a galaxy or you buy an iphone um anything else just sells in such paltry numbers in comparison at least through operators um now there are a few adventurous types like myself obviously i get them for free as a reviewer but uh and i have to return them that's that's how the ethics of this all work but i think that um you know some people spend a dollar a dollar amount a year budget on new phone a year or new phone every six months and so because they're early adopters and deck savvy folk and they listen to my podcast and listen to paul's podcast and and they uh they might buy these phones and sometimes they will buy them gray market in the u.s where they are imported and they don't get a warranty but um you know a lot of these phones right now in china only meaning they don't have google play services which as you know is a pretty essential part of an android phone working properly with google's applications and google application whether you know you're using them or not are kind of a critical part of a, of an android phone it's always a bit of a jarring experience to use an android phone that doesn't have uh, google support um even though it's running android uh so anyway what i'm getting to here is that these phones will probably not make it to the s except for maybe the view 20 and uh so, you know, it's a hard sell. I mean, they're, I'm excited because I'm a phone person. I, I talk about phones on the show, not just phones, but primarily phones. Um, and I'm excited about how it's a, this, this, this holy 
you know, goal of holy, if you want to call that, haha, funny, holy, this goal of creating a full screen smartphone that doesn't have any moving parts, that's all screen, yeah. is coming closer and closer. I think the notch was a first step. Yeah. Uh, you know, Essential brought that to the table first before the iPhone, then the iPhone popularized it through a notch. The notch was there for a while. Now we're seeing teardrop notches. We're seeing, uh, you know, hole punch notch, uh, notch, hole punches, I guess. They're not notches. (laughs) We're seeing, you know, we're seeing full screen displays where there's some weird form factor, a sliding mechanism behind the phone with a a front facing camera that slides out or, or a little pod that slides out or it's manual or it's electric or sometimes they have a screen in the back that's almost as big as the screen in the front and you flip the phone over and you use the main camera for selfies which is really weird to have a phone with two screens one smaller than the other but i like that they're experimenting i like that you don't see this in the iphone ecosystem you don't see because apple only makes two or three phones a year you don't see this level of experimentation android is where really the innovation is happening it yes it's gimmicky do you really need this no you don't is it cool Absolutely. Do you want it if you're a phone nerd like me? Yes, you do. And I do think it's better than the notch. Because here I think is the next thing that's going to happen, Paul. The next thing that's going to happen is this display. I don't think this is an OLED necessarily on this Nova 4 I'm looking at right now. But if it's an OLED display, the next generation of this is going to have the camera behind the screen without a hole punch. Right in that same corner behind the screen is going to be a camera sensor that's going to be more sensitive to light and have bigger pixels and have a faster lens with a better f-stop number. And it's going to be able to, when the screen in that location goes fully black, all the OLED pixels are turned off, take a photo literally through the screen. And the screen is going to act like a neutral density filter, reduce the brightness a little bit. But because the camera is more sensitive, you're going to get a picture anyway. That's what we're going to see in the summer of 2019. Mark my words. And then the next step is they're going to put more sensors behind that. And the speaker is going to go away and the whole screen is going to vibrate as a piezo element. There are so many little steps that are eventually going to take us to a phone. We'll, we'll have that thing where you just hold a little piece of glass. Correct. Demo, it's just or, all or, you know, shown off whole, in futuristic It doesn't videos, matter which 10, side you hold ago. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, every single pixel on the quote-unquote display will not just be displayed. It'll be a camera itself. It'll be an antenna for the, the signal. It'll be a compute element. It'll be a battery <laughs> unit. Every single part of your com- your phone in its little transparent block of, uh, of material will be semiconducting nano goo i will, <laughs> I will, will dream of that work. day i don't know if it will ever ever come quite how we imagine it but uh, well you know it, it's, it keeps it's getting better doesn't it yeah it's definitely yeah. getting interesting yeah. is what yeah. i'm saying and and you know um i encourage you if you're into phones to, to to keep an eye on this stuff and listen to uh podcasts like mine and others that you know kind of cover this evolution because you know it seems a bit kind of like weird right now because it's we're kind of in this uncanny valley where we're trying to figure out what to do about getting a full screen smartphone and and this is where we're at and it's it's kind of fun because in a year and a half we've evolved so drastically already right Mm, mm. no it's uh it's moving along very quickly uh now three more things i want to cover off very quickly uh 
DJI with their uh, their Osmo uh, Pocket. Oh, which that's is, cool. Uh, yeah. A really neat little little gadget. Uh, when I first got that uh, ahead of launch, there was no app. You couldn't actually use it. The app came out for iOS a, about a week ago, uh, maybe a little bit more. So I've been I've been uh, using that for a little while. Uh, it's just come out. I think in the last um, you know day. Uh, for or so for Play Store, so it's on it's on Android uh, two. Uh, it is uh, very much kind of their, their their you know version one of that app. So there are some things that aren't uh, aren't, aren't quite there yet. But uh, look, it's a it's definitely a cool little camera, and uh, I'll give a bit more feedback on that uh, once once I've spent some more time with it. Uh, on the local front, uh, a couple of news stories that uh, I thought were were relevant is uh, there was supposed to be an online voting trial for um, local. Uh, local government elections or council elections, as we call them uh, in New Zealand, and there were uh, there were a bunch of nine councils that were were planning to work together uh, on this trial next year, and uh, basically that that's been ditched. So I, I just thought that was interest interesting because you know we've talked a little bit before about that and security and and uh, and the realities. And the other thing uh, in uh, in New Zealand news is. Um, one of our transport agencies, Auckland Transport, uh, say they're introducing a 12-month uh, sort of form of ride-sharing uh, trial. So, of course, we you know we've got uh, Uber and Ola and um, you know other services here, uh, but this one is very focused in uh, on Devonport, uh, Bayswater, and Stanley Bay uh, areas, and they've got sort of ferry terminals that uh, run uh, run into those uh, areas as well. Uh, but it, it, it's not going to be your uh, traditional sort of ride sharing. This is actually an area I've I've been really interested in. Is is what's that sort of crossover between traditional public transport, where we've got bigger vehicles carrying more people, uh, and and then the individual sort of you know Uber type vehicles, which uh, you know of course n- not New Zealand at the moment, but uh, certainly in the US uh, and in some other markets where you can actually share and you can pay a very small fare, uh, and multiple people will get into the vehicle, and that that's what they're doing uh, with these sort of you know m- uh, mini buses. I think they are um, that. Mm-hmm. Carry a you know a, a bunch of uh, passengers, and they're talking about um, uh, fares. I think initially uh, two two dollars fifty uh, New, New Zealand will be sort of the starting uh, fare. So look, this is going to be you know just just interesting to see what they learn. It's a very very small you know slice of uh, the country, uh, so you know limit limited to uh, you know pretty small group. They've got. Um, Actually, they've got uh, some um, LDV minibuses that can take seven uh, passengers, but they're also uh, using the uh, Hyundai Ionic, um, which will be will be interesting. Which is a you know more normal size um, you know vehicle. I think the Ionic's an EV, if I remember uh, cor- correctly. So uh, yeah, so that that's that's not sort of so different to what we see with Uber and other parts of. Uh, of a country, so uh, that'll be an interesting one to follow. I'd certainly, be interested uh, in hearing from uh, from anyone that's in in Devonport that uh, that gives those uh, a try once they uh, once that service uh, kicks off. Uh, I think next next uh, uh, next year. So um, yeah, very um, very good to see all these new uh, new things coming into play. Well, thank you, Miriam, for being uh, being on the show. Now, uh, my we, pleasure, my pleasure. Where where should people? Um, 
uh, tune in to the Mobile Tech Podcast? What's the easiest way to find it? I guess it depends which app you're on. Um, well, I think you – so mobiletechpodcast.com is the quick URL to remember. You can go there and you click on the different options you have for, you know, Apple or Android. But obviously the, the RSS feed is there if you know how to enter that into your podcast app. But to make it simple for you, I'm on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts. Pocket Cast, Overcast, Slacker, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Pretty much That's everywhere. where you can find so me for sure. you can just sure. find it in the, in the app anyway. And, and, in and fact, it's a great my, listen. When I got my Model 3, it has, you know, TuneIn Radio and these apps built in. And it has a 4G LT connection that is, is, you know, available at least in the early days. It was free. And I was lucky because I got in on the free. Now you have to pay for it. Um, and and I can I stream podcasts all the time over LTE through TuneIn on my car, Fantastic. including my own podcast I, if I wanted to. Um, and so, of course, you can find me there and subscribe and uh, just search for Mobile Tech Podcast. And then if that doesn't come up, just add my handle on Twitter and Instagram that I mentioned before, Tankgirl, T-N-K-G-R-L. Think of Tankgirl, the comic book character, but drop the vowels and then you'll remember it that way. That's my Twitter and Instagram as well. That's awesome. That's great. Thanks, Miriam. And for those who are who are you know interested in a in a free phone, uh, then uh, thanks to the folks at uh, Spark who have got the exclusive distribution for uh, Nokia in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, you can uh, jump in the draw nztechpodcast dot com slash giveaway. I think it is. Let me uh, let me just double double check. I'm giving you the right place to go. Um, yes, that's uh, that's the right spot, nztechpodcast.com slash giveaway, and uh, all all the details are there, uh, nice, nice and easy. And, uh, yeah, we're just, uh, you know, hoping you'll, uh, you'll answer a few questions uh, for us. Very, very quick to do, though. Uh, and, look, look out for some new episodes soon. Uh, next, uh, next Tuesday, when we normally release, will be uh, Christmas uh, day, of course, so there won't be any episode there. Uh, but we will be certainly kicking off, um, you know, reasonably early in the new year with uh, with some content. So uh, that's us for uh, for this episode and uh, and for the year. So thank you, Miriam, for joining the uh, the final uh, the final show. <laughs> pleasure, the pleasure. Here on New Zealand Tech Podcast, and uh, we'll we'll look forward to catching you soon, possibly at CES. That one uh, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll uh, be there. Still working out whether uh, whether I'll be able to uh, join join you and the other uh, hundred and. 50, 60, 70,000 uh, people that are likely to be there again this year. Uh, should be a good show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.